forward to this. All right, hey everybody, I am Queen Mab. Not my real name, but I'm a teacher. So, you know, gotta protect my identity at least a little bit. And I am here today with my friend from Hollywood Fringe, Lorinda Hawkins-Smith, who's got an awesome show called Justice or Just Me, The Bite. Oh wait, look at how she's got it behind her. That's really cool. Justice or just me? <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> okay, so the sword and everything. It's just me. <laughs> oh, I didn't notice that. The sword's on. So she's like kind of stabbing you with her sword. Oh, she's ready. She's ready. <laughs> if I step out of line, she's ready. No grace. Just look. Just justice <laughs> all over here. You're looking for justice. It's over here. No, but we're gonna deal with you in, in the way we deal with you. And I like how her scale is kind of like smacking you in the head a little bit. So she's just like not giving you any outs whatsoever. Yeah, and she and she's cutting off the top of my head. You know, you can't even see the top of my hair. It's like, there's no justice here. Oh man. Sitting <laughs> oh, on a stool that's too high, you know? Come on. It's just, he, he, we tried this, okay. Probably it. Nefertiti. Okay. I'm okay. Okay. So Nefertiti, aka Lorinda. Um, <laughs> let's just start out super basic. Tell us your story. Oh my gosh. Super basic. Super basic. <laughs> That's not basic. That's a lot. Oh my gosh. Um, what is my story? Well, I'll give you the um abridged version. Okay. I grew up in an upper middle class home, only child, two parents, uh, predominantly all private schools that I went to, had to fight to get to a public school because I felt like I was missing out. And I was on getting beat up, but I managed to not get beat up, but only because I became like a chameleon and I started trying to talk like everybody around me. Mm -hmm. So because I got really good at it, my parents put me back in private school because my vocab score went down. <laughs> ah, so then it was back to private school. Um, but I, I feel like I was sheltered a lot so that when I went out into the real world, it was um, a shock in a lot of ways. Um, Wow, I don't really go into this, but with you, I feel so comfortable, Catherine. I feel so comfortable. So what I will say is uh, there was a hair component in it mm -hmm. since we're doing hair today. Um, since I was five years old, I had like a relaxer that chemically straightened my hair. Mm. Had it all through my early adulthood to where I didn't know what the natural texture of my hair actually looked like. I actually had a fear of what it might be, like I might not be able to deal with it type of fear. So when I was pregnant with my son, my firstborn, that's when I actually started thinking, wow, I wonder how these chemicals would affect him. Mm. Maybe I shouldn't do it. And why am I doing it again? And wait a minute. And up until that time, I always had like shoulder length, straight hair. And cutting your hair was like 
taboo in the black culture because your hair is everything. It's your crowd. Um, but I really felt like God was dealing with me even then, like, well, why don't you face the things you're scared of? And, and, and I feel like he was really challenging me um, about self-esteem issues. Like, is this what you need to feel like you look good? And well, what if it was taken away, you know? So I cut my hair off and I loved it. And I kept going shorter and shorter and shorter. But um, I realized I, I was treated differently in, in society. Um, and I think my first arrest happened when I had short hair and was wearing it more natural. And, um, yeah, and I felt like I was treated very harshly for it being my first arrest. Like I literally was out of ignorance being spoiled. I was used to being able to leave my son in the car in our driveway while I ran into the house to get something. And my mother would yell out the window, you shouldn't leave him in the car like that. And I'm like, well, I'm just going in the, to get something in my room. But it formed a bad habit. And I just thought, oh, I'll just go into the store and get this. And one time they're like, waiting for me. And I'm like, but he's asleep. Doesn't matter. He could have woken up. He could have been kidnapped. All these things. And I'm like, that wouldn't happen in Altadena, in the foothills of Altadena, where I'm from, but they didn't care. So yeah, that was my first case of the justice system. Mm -hmm. It just went downhill from there. <laughs> but I'm here by the grace of God. You're here. And yeah. so now you've created... Oh my gosh, I went to your website and you have created many, many, many things. Um, <laughs> many things. Many, many tabs. <laughs> that is right. What you, what you want? You want a virus? Here's a tab for that. What you want? You want, you want some books? Here's some books. Here's some comedy? Yeah. It's all right there. And hey, one stop shop. <laughs> well, and this brings up too, you know, so, um, so you're, I met you through Hollywood Fringe. So I was aware, first of all, that you were doing a show at Hollywood Fringe, um, which I finally got to see. Oh, look at that playbill. Look at that. Oh, that's right. Okay. So then you told me, oh, it's also a book. And I went, oh my goodness. Yeah, yep, yep. Okay, so it is a book and it is a show. And I read the book and one of the things that struck me is how, you know, it's a really intense story, but like, you're also really funny. And there would be like these really funny asides. Like there was one where like the, 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 like the bad guy and you were like having this fight about Christmas music. And you were like, you were like, what kind of a, you know, crazy guy doesn't want to listen to Christmas music. And I laughed so hard. <laughs> I'm so happy. Yeah. Um, that's, that's, my defense mechanism that's part of why i'm still here in my right mind mm -hmm. right but i have this weird sense of humor that i feel like a lot of black people have to have to survive mm. and i i remember a friend of mine was going to help me edit my book Nobody ever really helped me edit it. It's just never, never happened. But she was going to try and she was starting to read the first part of it where it talks about the spook. Yes. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. And she was like, but that's, that's racist. I'm like, well, yeah. But it, it seems like you're trying to be funny or something. I mean, she wasn't getting it. And I'm like, yeah, (laughs) you have to, I have to, I have to put that spin on it. And again, with the show too, or else it'll just be sad. Mm-hmm. But I feel like that's not really how life is. Life, even when we're going through tragic things, there is some funny in it. And, yeah. Or irony. Like, mm-hmm. oh, isn't that ironic? <laughs> oh, look at that. Is that? <laughs> yeah. So tell me about how this show got started, because it was kind of a long process, oh. it sounds like. Oh yeah, thank you. Thank you for that. Um, How did it get started? Well, I found myself in Skid Row and I was like, what? So it was definitely culture shock. And um, I definitely was feeling depression set in. And I was feeling like, wait, what, what, what happened? Why am I here? When I thought I was following you, God, I thought I was doing what I was supposed to be doing. Um, and then by a series of events, I feel like God was showing me because I've always, not always, but I had heard missionary. I felt like I was called to be a missionary. So I felt like God was showing me, well, you don't have to leave the country to be a missionary. Mm. It's all right here too. And when I humbled myself and stopped saying, well, I'm homeless, but this is why I'm homeless. I'm a different kind of homeless. You're homeless. And I was like, no, you're just homeless. <laughs> you're, just, you're just homeless. You're just homeless. You know, and I felt like, yeah, once I just humbled myself and just became one with the community, that's when things opened up. That's when I found my voice through writing because I humbled myself and got involved in the theater companies in the community. The theater companies, I was like, at first, like, no, but I don't have my headshots. I don't have the agent right now. How would I show them my work? But um, I humbled myself and learned a lot, met a lot of great people, and discovered social justice theater. And I was like, what? You can, you can like, cause change in this way through doing something I love. And um, one day in Drama Stage Qumran, shout out to Melvin, that I want to put Van in there, but it's Melvin Ishmael Johnson. He ran that theater company and he one day was like, you know what, I want plays. I want you all to write. And then he gave us like the topics, domestic violence, AIDS, all these topics. So I did one play with domestic violence and AIDS. But then I thought, you know what, let me write my story. Mm -hmm. And I did because I was also part of another theater company, not a theater company, but an organization um, where they were like, well, let's do monologues. Um, And then we'll have a little showcase. And they were handing out monologues. And I was like, well, can I write my own? they're like, sure. And that's really how it started to develop between that company, that 
organization and um, Drama Sage Kumran. And I just kept workshopping it. And in the one organization, there was a nice director and he was helping me shape it, you know, and I loved it. Um, and so I just started performing this 10 minute piece. And as I did, people would give me feedback. And what I found is that the story just, just wasn't mine. It was many people's story and they just would encourage me, but you gotta finish it, you gotta, you gotta finish it. So over a number of years, that was in the back of my head to finish it. But it's hard when you're really still kind of in it, domestic violence, because even though you leave the person or might not be married to that person anymore, if you have children, mm. it still affected you and it's mm -hmm. still in it and you're still in it. Um, so there were a lot of ups and downs and I just really felt like, well, it's a pandemic. What worse could happen? <laughs> what more can happen? Let's just put it out now. I felt like, I felt like God's timing was like, yeah, let's go, let's do it. And I was like, okay. Also shout out to um, the Roby Playwright Lab because I was with them for a number of years, just working out um, many facets of the play and then realized, yeah, it doesn't have to be one long play. It can be broken up into three parts. That's right. So that was something I wanted to ask you about. So the book ends at a certain point, right? It's, it's kind of your second arrest where the book ends and then the play kind of almost kind of spoiler alert oh sorry sorry i should have said that <laughs> sorry guys um so okay um <laughs> i'll make sure i put spoiler alert or i can edit that out. i don't know we'll figure it out it's okay it's okay so it's the book okay. the book ends there and then i was kind of like what happens and then the play kind of picks up right there and then at the end of the play okay i won't screw up the end of the play at the end of the play i was like what happens but then i remember at hollywood fringe office hour you told me it was going to be like a trilogy right okay so tell me about what what that's looking like all right when can we expect oh book one there it is yeah ideally i'm trying to make it so that the show and the books come out they coincide simultaneously because mm -hmm. um, yeah so i want to get the buzz out with the first book, first show, first part. Um, but it it is, but I'm talking about spoiler. There's a huge spoiler on the back of my playbill. I mean, it basically tells everything that happens, but um, it's the bite, the fight and the flight. Oh, I love it. Listen, to, it's, not, it's not alliteration when it's on the end. What is it when it's on the end? I don't know. I oh, just know it bad. rhymes. I like the way it rhymes. But um, <laughs> yeah, um, what was your question? Well, my question was, so, okay. So you answered it because you told me that you're gonna do a, like a show and a book and a show and a book yeah. at the same time. Right. So I was just asking, well, first let me ask you this. Yeah. When is the next time that folks will be able to see Justice or Just Me, The Bite? That's a very good question. And that's what I want to know because I guess I have to wait for phone calls or I just have to get the word out mm -hmm. because this was my first time 
doing a French festival where I was producing, performing, playwriting, marketing, doing everything in a pandemic. <laughs> a little challenging. That's right, because um, you, had, you had done a version of it at Red Cat before. Yes, I did the 10 minute version. Oh, okay. that's when I first started incorporating the multimedia mm, okay. element. And I got used to working with tech people in a different way. Mm -hmm. So I approached um, this situation the same way and all tech people are different. Yes. And they work differently. Yes. <laughs> so I learned, but I learned when I was in it. <laughs> so I was more focused on producing um, tasks than mm -hmm. performing tasks and marketing tasks. Like mm -hmm. it was enough just to write a press release. And I'm like, woo! But, you know, and then, oh, Broadway World, yay! And then I was done. <laughs> and then I'm like, let me focus on this. Yeah, there were like a lot of um, unforeseen fires that had to be put out. So I say all that to say, um, that's what I want to work on now. I want to work on getting it out there. Um, the video isn't great quality, but hopefully people can see the gist of the play, like what it is enough to maybe want to see it live and have me do it or perform it. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So one of the things I loved about the show we were talking about multimedia, right? Which was like the projections and all that. And that was really cool. But I loved that you had a drummer and there were a few moments in there where you sang and I, I like didn't know that was gonna happen. So the first time it happened, I was like, oh, I was really excited. So what made you decide to incorporate those elements into the oh, story? Yeah, because that is me um, from very young. I love to sing dance. So I took tap. I was fortunate to have parents that paid for tap lessons, paid for piano lessons. They wouldn't pay for singing lessons. So I had to go to church for that. <laughs> um, Good place to learn though. Yeah, you know, but I, I, I think it was when I saw The Wiz. When I saw The Wiz at the Cinerama Dome, and Michael Jackson was a scarecrow and Diana Ross was Dorothy. Chills went up and down my spine. And I felt like, this is what I'm created to do. Just tell stories with song. And, and, and it was funny to me. Um, yeah, so I just wanted all those elements in it. And, and that's actually how my brain works. Even going through life, I'll see things and it'll, trigger like a song in my head. Oh, that's funny. Or, oh, that's interesting. And yeah. And if I say it out loud, sometimes people get it. Sometimes they don't, but it's okay. Cause my humor is not for everybody. <laughs> okay. There you go. <laughs> so you mentioned like being a kid and like singing and doing tap and all these things. So one of the things I love on your website is in your bio, there's this picture of you when you're like a little kid because you were like a kid model. So like, could you tell us like uh, just like how long you've been performing and how you got started and all that kind of stuff? That's so funny. I forget. But yeah, um, I guess one of our neighbors when I was little was a photographer and I guess he needed 
little children for ads. <laughs> and my mother was like, sure, you know? So I, I would do that for, I guess, most, mostly furniture, mm-hmm. being that furniture model, like being the, in the stroller and looking over my shoulder. Um, and then it got to a point where they had pageants and that was the next step. And my mother asked me and she said, would you like to be in the pageant? No, I didn't want it. I just, so I think that was the end of my modeling career and all that, but it was more so acting. And I think soon after that, I had a good part in a, in, in a grade school play. And I felt like even then I knew it was a good part. I was like, oh, I get to say a lot of words. And I just really took to it. I think I was an early speaker talker too. I love the sound of my own voice. I would like, my poor mother, I would read her the phone book. Back in those days, we had the yellow pages and the white pages. And you could just, yeah, it's not supposed to be read out loud to people, but my mother was so supportive. <laughs> yeah, and then, um, yeah, entertaining. That's what I like to do. And my parents were very much into musicals. And my father would sing around the house, Frank Sinatra, Lou Rawls, just very, very various, a variety, a variety of styles of music. My mother um, was a teacher and she taught ESL. So there was um, Celia Cruz music playing and she spoke Spanish. So there was like a Spanish feel and vibe growing up too. I I took Spanish in school all the way through school. Just a lot of different cultures. We like to travel. Mm -hmm. I got to go around the world for vacations. It was really nice. That's awesome. That's very cool. So it sounds like though at some point you made a decision where you're like, okay, this is what I'm going to like do and focus on kind of as a career. So how did you make that choice? Yeah, that was a hard choice because even though my parents would love entertainment, love watching it or whatever, they didn't want me to do that. You know, that's not what they were paying private school prices for. So it wasn't until we were on a cruise. (laughs) I think it was an Alaskan cruise. And there was some kind of talent show and I decided to sing. I'm so excited by the Pointer Sisters. And I won. And then, you know, people were coming up to my mother. Oh, she was great to you. What a boy. And they kept coming up for her. And then she was like, well, maybe this is something you could do. <laughs> so I think getting that okay for my parent or one of them <laughs> went, a, went a long way. And I think think that coupled with when I started to have to pay for my education, like Mm -hmm. when when I went to college and there was no money, only the money I would get, I was like, well, I better be doing what I want to do. And then I dropped out, (laughs) dropped out of college and decided to do acting full-time. And I really got blessed. I ended up with these full-time jobs doing educational theater. And Mm -hmm. that was my passion. Because I felt like 
I wanted to be a teacher, but my mother was like, don't be a teacher. <laughs> she loved the students, but the bureaucratic stuff wasn't good. Yeah. So I was like, oh, okay. And I loved the idea of being a psychologist or, you know, I was really into that and then acting. So it felt like it combined everything to be able to tour these schools, talk to the kids after with the Q&A. We um, partnered with the IMPACT program at that time. There's no funding for that anymore, apparently. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah. It looks like you still do a lot of that though on your website. Like there was this image of you, it looked like with some students in Japan doing some teaching. Yeah, yeah that was, so I, I do these talks as well. Like, so I've been blessed to be able to present my 10 minute story or monologue, but then do um, improv workshops with folks, um, Q and A's, tell them about my story. So what you saw, what I did in Japan, that was a workshop called um, The Roots of Gospel Music. Mm. So I was to present on that topic and I developed this talk showing, combining like um, comfort women, because I wanted to talk about slavery, but I wanted to liken it to something that was topical or relatable mm -hmm. to Japanese women who might know about comfort women um, because the roots of gospel music, I'm sorry, but there's slavery. There is slavery and that's very much a part of our story as black Americans, African-Americans. And I feel like domestic violence is a type of bondage. And I was blessed to be able to be freed from that so I liken it to slavery. We're blessed to be able to be freed from that. So there's a scripture, I believe it's Galatians 5.1, and it talks about once you've been free, don't return to that bondage. Basically, don't do that. Don't do that. Um, so yeah, that's what that talk was. It was basically the roots of gospel music, but also my testimony about how I got free and the um, parallels of all that good stuff. So I like talking to folks. I like talking to groups. I even do a Biddy Mason. Oh, wow. Biddy Mason? Yeah, actually, you know, it's funny because I was watching your interview, that you, the one that you sent me that you did with um, Sharon Nairi Williams. And yeah. I was, and I watched a little snippet of it and there was a part where you mentioned her and I was like, Oh, I don't know who that is. So then I Googled her and I was like, oh, wow. So tell me more about that. Oh, oh my gosh. Well, I had to end up in Skid Row in 2007 to learn about Biddy Mason. Oh my gosh. And she is, she's like one of the pioneers of LA, downtown LA. I mean, she has an amazing story, bought property, but Basically, she was a slave who won her freedom in court and then went on to be this philanthropist. She planted the first Amy church. She, oh my gosh, the um, Azusel, Azusel, Azusa Street 
revival. Some people heard of that and know that it was started by William Seymour, William J. Seymour, but they don't know that the, the space that he used was a building that Biddy Mason owned at one point. So it's, it, it, it's just interesting. There's a wall dedicated to her in downtown LA that nobody knows about unless it's word of mouth because there's no real signs directing you to it. But it just shows her journey. She had to walk all these miles behind a wagon train from Mississippi to, to Los Angeles, to San Bernardino, walking. Um, even from Mississippi to Utah, Utah, it, it's crazy. But she did all these things and then at the end of it, you see her signature and it's this X. She did all these things and she didn't know how to read or write. She was able to speak fluent Spanish. She was able to wheel and deal with real estate and just do these huge business dealings. And she was a midwife and she, oh, and she was this nurse and she assisted uh, Dr. Griffin there's a mural in UCSF, UC San Francisco, and it's very old, and it just shows Dr. Griffin with his assistant, who is a woman of color, and that was Biddy Mason. And how amazing is that? Because back then, women of color weren't really depicted in good light, and it was by an artist who wasn't of color, and he just was drawing what he saw. So again, we have the receipts. It's like she was doing stuff. She wasn't getting ministered to. It shows her ministering to um, soldiers. And mm -hmm. just, so she was able to make money from that, make money from delivering babies, <laughs> making money from probably flipping and twisting properties. And <laughs> she was so smart, smart as a whip. So. And so you do talks about her? Yes, I was, um, the Los Angeles Public Library, downtown LA, Central Library, um, did a historical portraits project where they wanted to highlight certain historical people of LA and Biddy Mason was one. And you had to like um, send in why you wanted to represent her, wanted to be her. And fortunately I, I got it. <sighs> And I don't know the status of it because it happened right before the pandemic and it was gonna be on the video walls. And it's this amazing technology where it looks like it might be a still photograph, but then you look at it a little bit longer and you see there is movement. Oh my God, like Harry Potter. Oh, okay. It's been a while since I've seen Harry Potter, <laughs> but... Um, but yeah, and it, it's awesome because it has her, it has a wagon wheel that's turning very slowly behind her. And, and I got to, I got to represent her, but I like to tell her story as often as I can. Would you ever do a show about her? Yeah, thank you. <laughs> You're helping me so much. Yes, yes, I would like to do a one person show. I have some pieces, some spoken word pieces dedicated to her that I feel like would be a good one person show. Awesome. 
Okay, well, I hope you do, because I have to say, even when I Googled her, I was just like, wow, this is one of these people that I think I should probably know about, so. Yeah, you know, so many people should. And I really felt like being in Skid Row, there's not a lot of um, hope. There's not a lot of hope. But then when you see her story, you're just like, well, dang, what's my excuse? You know, she did all that. Yeah, so it, it just feels like if we knew more about these people, it would help so many more people. It would be like, oh, okay, because there's so many negative images coming at us all the time as Black people. And so to have positive images and stories coming up that are real, so it's kind of maddening that there are probably many stories like Biddy Mason's, but they are buried. So it's just a matter of unearthing them. Yeah. Wow, wow. I have to think that the unearthing, I just need to sit with that for a minute. That's a really interesting way to describe that. Yeah, because I feel like, um, I think it was Viola Davis mm -hmm. had mentioned that the graveyard is probably full of stories. Hmm. And I was almost one of them. And, but by the grace of God, um, I did not die in that relationship. Well, and that, okay, there's, there's like two different questions I want to ask you, and I'm sure they'll both come out. But the first thing, one of the things that I really enjoyed in your book and in your show was the way you've got a very strong faith and a very strong connection to the spirit. So like you would say, you know, oh, I was at, like, I was going to do this thing. And then the spirit told me not to do it. And sometimes you listen and <laughs> sometimes you don't. And then the results of that play out. But I guess I'm just really interested kind of to know more about that. Like, how do you check in with that spirit to let you know where to go? Good question. Good question. Um, I will say that I feel like I've always known God. And I got to a point where it's not enough to just know that there is a God. You kind of have to have a relationship with him and read his word, know what he's about, know his character. So when that happened to me in that marriage where I almost lost my life, and that voice told me what to do to save my life. I recognized that voice and it was this voice I had been ignoring, <laughs> you know, usually ignoring doing my own thing all along. So it was kind of like a wake up call, like, oh, this is real love because God has no reason to save me because I was not following your will, doing anything your way, even threw away a Bible. And for God to still want to save me by telling me what to do to save my life, let me know that that, that was somebody to worship instead of the men in my life that I kept feeling like I needed to worship. Um, so I just really made it my, my goal to really get to know this, this God person who thinks so much of me <laughs> that he would be willing to do all these things for me. So I feel like it's my due diligence to foster that relationship 
the word, read his word, be in fellowship with believers, even though we're not perfect. But even then, to know that even pastors, they're not perfect. And it's usually the point of going to church and listening to pastors is that they may confirm what God is already saying to you and confirming in his word, not to get everything from that man of God, you know? So listening to his voice is a learning journey. It just really is. But I think where I am is I will not ignore it. I won't be like, ah, la, 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 la. no, I will acknowledge. Yes, that's you. Yes, I hear your voice. Forgive me, I'm going to do this. <laughs> you know, because he, he gives us choice. Because I don't ever want to get to that place again where my heart is so hardened that I don't hear his voice at all. You know, that I'm just doing my own thing and hoping, rolling the dice and hoping it doesn't come out snake eyes. Um, yeah, and he's so patient. He's so patient and loving. It's just like, why would I go back to what I was doing before? Doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. So yeah, listening to that voice. And um, not everybody's gonna agree. Not, you know, not even fellow Christians will agree with what I feel like God is telling me to do, you know? And that's why you, it's so important to know his word and have that prayer time and know his character and know his voice because you can be talked out of so many things so easily hmm. so many things you know because people go through their whole lives thinking they're doing it right and it's like yeah no <laughs> yeah one of the things i really resonated with in your book i i think this was in the show too was you talked about that when you were young when you were a girl you were very sensitive and you know the authority figures in your life were always saying to you like knock it off you're too sensitive you know even the the hair brushing scene where you were told that you were tender headed i i had some things like that with my parents as well you know um the, the, all these kinds of things and so you talked about learning to tune that voice out because whenever you would act on it you would basically get punished or reprimanded and so it sounds like it's really changed your life to start listening to that voice again. Oh, definitely. Definitely. And, and that's a very good example because people are well-meaning when they, well, sometimes <laughs> when they try to talk you out of certain things, but yeah, I, I feel like we don't give kids enough credit. I feel like we're so quick to just beat them for not obeying, but it's like, well, maybe you should listen to why they didn't obey. Maybe they're, hearing something else, seeing something else. You know, that's why I think it's so much more important when disciplining your children to actually discipline, meaning teach. That means have a conversation with them, have a discussion with them. You know, it's like kids are smart. You know, it's, it, yeah. So I, I do feel like that's a thing that um, a lot of women have to overcome where Society continually tells us that we're just too sensitive. Oh, you're overreacting. You're just being emotional. And so we internalize that a lot of times. And we internalize a lot of misogyny too. And it's just, we look at um, feminine traits as weakness, as 
things to run from. But oh my gosh, when I tell you those are gifts, honey, those are gifts. To be sensitive is, is such a gift. Yes, it can be, you know, feel like a curse sometimes to be that sensitive. But uh, it's, it's like, <laughs> it's like what, it's so much better to feel. Because what's the opposite of that? Numb. Hmm. I don't want to be numb. I want to be awake, which is why it was so important when I gave birth um, my second time that I did it naturally. I remember that. Yeah. In the book. Yeah. yeah. And you had to fight for it. Had to fight. Yeah. Again, another example of people say, no, you can't do that. Mm -hmm. No, no. Oh, you'll die. It's like, what <laughs> are you telling me? And then the even the public defenders or pretenders. Pretenders, yes. Public pretenders. It's like, oh, no, no, that's not going to work. Really? Do you really care enough to try to do everything you can to defend me? Or are you just overwhelmed? Or Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that, yeah. <laughs> So I wonder about, okay, so I watched your crowdfunding video that you did for the show, and it was this video that you made about domestic violence, and you were sort of playing these different characters talking about domestic violence, and I was watching it, and I actually learned a lot. Like, I thought, oh, I, I know what domestic violence is, but then I watched this video, and I'm like, oh, wait, maybe I don't. So, like, can you give us, like, a brief kind of definition and it's on my YouTube, Lorinda Hawkins. I think that's my YouTube channel. But um, yeah, because of that experience, the, the experience that caused me to write the book, um, I had to take, spoiler alert <laughs> for the next book, <laughs> but I had to take um, 52 weeks of batterers class. And that's a lot for someone who feels like they're not the batterer. <laughs> but I felt God saying, you know what? You're going to need this down the road, like mm -hmm. teaching wise, mm -hmm. teaching wise. So, you know, I humbled myself and I learned a lot. But then I also got involved with Peace Over Violence, plug, plug, Peace Over Violence, um, an organization in LA and Pasadena. Um, that fights for victims of sexual violence, violence of all kinds. But anyway, they have a course you can take to get certified as a violence prevention specialist. Mm. And I definitely did that. And it's free if you agree to volunteer your time after you get your certificate presenting to the youth and different groups and various groups about healthy versus unhealthy relationships and what have you. So yes, I, I've learned a lot. I've studied. Um, and it, it just is very frustrating when I hear people in authority positions um, dismiss it as if it was just, oh, it's just an anger problem, domestic violence. Oh, it's just the amygdala when it lights up. It just really is frustrating to the point where I just feel like that's why it is getting worse and worse. Because if you're just telling yourself 
whether you're the abuser or the abused, you know, it, what, what's the problem? It's just an anger problem, or it's just an, or I can't control it, or it's just something that happens. I just need to work on my anger. It's not those things. It's, it's deeper. It's a lot deeper. And if we would humble ourselves, not thinking we always have all the answers to everything and just maybe learn and ask some questions of people who might have much more of an experience and knowledge regarding it, I think we would go further. Because I don't know if we just don't realize that a lot of mass shootings stem from domestic violence situations, which is crazy. And I feel like there needs to be better alternatives for people who are in domestic violence situations. Because you don't, you, in a lot of cases, you love these people. These people love each other. Right. So you don't want to send your loved one to jail. You just want there to be help or different resources or, you know, just make it, make it stop. So I feel like how we deal with, um, mental health issues mm -hmm. where unfortunately a lot of people are getting shot <laughs> instead, yeah. of, instead of maybe having the, the mental health team come. Mm -hmm. I think there should be something like that with um, domestic violence. I mean, at least let's talk about it. Let's, let's sit at the table with people who know what they're talking about, you know, instead of just trying to decide these things for other people. Because then you have the OJ situation thing that came up. It's like, oh, well, well, OJ happened. So now every time we get called, we got to take somebody. And it's like, but you're taking the wrong people. <laughs> so so how, how's that working? And then, and then the legislation that comes from that, it's like, well, who wrote that? That's not helping. Who, who's, who's at the table making these decisions? So, yeah. Right. Right. No, that's, that's uh, trying to think where to begin. Well, one, one of the things that I was really interested in, in this video, because again, I thought domestic violence was just like, you know, people hitting each other. I had this very simplistic idea, but then I watched your video and you talked about one of the examples you gave was like a husband who is not willing to help take care of the baby. And I looked at that and I went, wow, like, that, because unfortunately, I know a lot of people who are in those kinds of situations. And I was like, I wonder if they realize that that falls under that umbrella. Yeah, because I don't know. I think maybe people joke about it, mm -hmm. but it's true. I feel like, okay, so let me get comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> so Donald Trump becoming president, I, I had mixed reactions. You know, I, 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 I didn't think he would be good for the country in one sense, but in another sense, I thought he might be good for the country because then I felt like, well, now everybody will know what it'll feel like to be in a domestic violence relationship. See? Oh my God, oh my yeah. God. You have to say that again. Yeah, you don't, you don't like it? Just leave, no? <laughs> 
You don't want to. Why? Why? Why don't you just leave America? Oh, because I know I. She did it, right? But maybe, maybe you don't have the money to. Maybe you don't have a. You know, maybe this is all you know. Maybe, maybe you're still hopeful that this person will keep their promises. Will do what they said that they promised that they'll do. The gaslighting, the broken promises, all of that is under domestic violence. You know, it's it's not just physical, it's psychological. And that, the emotional and psychological damage is usually what takes the longest to heal from in these situations. I mean, I broke my arm in one situation and that healed, but oh my gosh, it took me years to unlearn what I was made to think of who I was. And not just from that one relationship, but oh my gosh, society. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I love you, America, but it is this domestic violence situation for a lot of black people. It's like, we love America. We will fight for this country. We will die for this country. But oh my gosh, I can't do what? I can't live here. I can't do, oh, it must be something I'm doing wrong. So then I'll work harder and I'll just be better. And wait, no, it's not enough. Oh shoot, then what can I do? Let me get more degrees. What? Oh, I'm not gonna get paid that much? Wait, oh, oh, oh. You know, it's, people don't wanna see it or say it, but it really is. So when you're like, well, why do you keep getting in these relationships or why, you know, maybe that's all I know. And I literally, truth be told, it took this pandemic <laughs> for me to be just shut in and alone with my God and his word and him just pouring into me. And that's when the virus was made, the short film. Short film. But up until then, if I had ideas to do something like that all by myself, I was made to feel like I was being too arrogant, too prideful. Who do you think you are? And to think you, you well, why don't you need help? Well, what, you know, and it's like, well, maybe I just want to do this. So it was just learning, being reminded like, oh yeah, no, I can do this. Oh yeah, I can do the musical score. Oh, I can make the little props or I can't. And it was so much fun and I can write the story and I can do these things and it's actually okay. It's, it's, it's actually kind of, people kind of like it. Well, which is cool, but it's just being reawakened to who I was created to be and to not listen so much to what other people see me to be, what they're, you know, they, a lot of people want to put you in a box or in a category. Mm -hmm. you know, it's like you're black well you should sing gospel right you know it's like well that's not really how i grew up but i do like gospel music it's like what you don't know that gospel song it's like, no. but i can learn you know some people just give up oh well, she don't know we'll forget it it's like nobody wants to invest the time in people anymore it's just kind of frustrating well and it sounds like you decided to invest the time in yourself and yeah, and I'm excited to hear that the result of that was your your short film. So where where can people see that, and what's what's it about? <laughs> well, as I'm talking, I'm going to see if I can do this, and um, I'm just going to choose another background while we're talking. 
That's yeah. cool. Oh, look at that. <laughs> I love that you're prepared. You're just like, ooh, I'm gonna plug my other thing. Boom. <laughs> I'm trying. I'm trying to trying to do a little shout something. <sighs> so um I have a website and it's lorindahawkinsmith.com. And on that website, there's a tab, the virus. So you click, can click on that tab and it tells you all about the virus and it has the two versions of it. Um, but that's the small screen. Um, the next time it's gonna be on a big screen to my knowledge will be when it's part of, wrong way. <laughs> I'm kind of corny. When it's part of the Nevada Short Film Festival and the Reno Comedy Film Festival. So it won. And those two things are <laughs> um, in fall, this fall. But they had an option where you can defer it because of COVID mm -hmm. and instead go to the Spring Festival. Mm -hmm. in 2022 so that's what i'm gonna do i'm gonna defer it because i have a friend her name is shell barber and she lives in nevada and i want her to go too but she's immunocompromised mm -hmm. so she would feel better going in march so that's when i'll go but until then if it's going to be screened anywhere else on a big screen i don't know unless somebody contacts me I think it's very topical and relatable to today's times. Oh yeah. Oh, it, it most certainly is. And I will say I am, I'm not a horror person at all. Okay. So I thought it was horror. I was like, okay, but I'm going to watch it because I'm going to interview Lorinda. So, okay. And then I watched it and it is, it's not just horror. It is horror comedy, which I was not aware was a thing. And I <laughs> laughed so hard. I won't say what I laughed at because oh, I but there, it, there's just some really brilliant sort of prop creativity, prop slash character creativity. And that's all I'm going to say about that. Yeah. I'm so glad you got it. I'm so glad because um, that's what my friend Sharon. So there's a few of us we met at Western Arts Alliance conference in 2019. Charles, me, Sharon, and Shell. We're like the four musketeers. You saw the show, Shaking Step Up. Yep. Step up. Um, so, so I was working at the time teaching drama at Marlboro School for their summer program, three plays in a pandemic. It was interesting. It was challenging. I got stretched. Anyway, the opportunity came up to go to um, the Oregon, Oregon Spring Week Festival because I knew I was nominated also. And then I wanted to see my friend Sharon from Seattle. She said she would meet me. Long story short, I didn't think I was gonna go because of finances. My friend Sharon blessed me financially to be able to do it. And then, and this is a woman who, <laughs> said that she didn't like horror movies either. She's like, because when I was about to cancel and say, you know what, I'm sorry, Sharon, but I need this money for the show and the Hollywood Fringe Festival and everything. 
she's like, oh, no problem, because I don't really like horror movies anyway. I was just only going to go because you were going to go or be in the festival. And, and it's at a winery. So I was going to drink some wine and think that was fun. So, <laughs> so when I told her, no, I'm going, she's like, oh. <laughs> so she didn't think she would have fun. But she went and she had fun. And I'm so glad. So, because I grew up, my birthday's Halloween. That's right. Yes. So I grew up on horror movies, which was kind of traumatic as a child. But anyway, so now having lived real life horror experiences, I don't so much like horror movies that much, but I can appreciate the genre. Mm -hmm. and I like comedy um so yeah I tried out a 48-hour film festival through Flappers Comedy Club mm -hmm. it was my birthday month October and you get the little topic that Friday and that Sunday you need to turn in a movie so I got the topic and the topic was slasher films mm. and I'm like yes Yes, right up my alley. So yeah, and then the rest is history. I mean, I missed the deadline, but still did it. And now I, I, I give them credit because that five minute version was to honor them. And then the eight minute, 46 second version is to honor Mr. Floyd. Mm. Well, that's, you know, I, I have to say, I love the story of you missing the deadline and doing it anyway. That's, that's really, really cool. Well, because I told you like how much fun I was having. I'm like, oh, I can, I can make this or, oh, and I need music. Oh, I can make music. It's like, oh, that's right. I can do this. I can, you know, and it was, I was having so much fun. And then I, when I realized I'm going to miss the deadline. I fell into a depression, boy. I was like, I mean, I literally filmed everything in 48 hours. I mean, I was up all night. I was like, and then I was like, when it wouldn't upload in time, I was like, now what? And literally, I heard God be like, finish it anyway. Oh, yeah, I can finish it anyway. So I finished it anyway, and then I finished it anyway, and then I'm like, well, now what do I do with it? So it just so happened. It was my first year celebrating Kwanzaa. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I had my Kwanzaa guide, Melanie, Melanie, who would, you know, help me understand each day. And she said, well, why don't you have a Zoom screening of it? Mm. I'm like, oh yeah, okay. So it turned out I did do that and it happened to be on um, Kumba. Kumba, the day of Kumba, the day of creativity. Oh, I was thinking it might've been, is Kuchichagalia the one where you like keep going? Oh, termination. Yeah, I always remember that one because I went to a Quanta celebration once and that was the thing and I really liked saying it and I liked yes! it. Was. Yeah. It's so much fun in your mouth. Yeah. I can't. Yeah. But no, it was Kumba. <laughs> that's just, 
And um, so then I had the screening and then I'm like, well, now what? <laughs> um, so then I started submitting it to the film festivals, not thinking anything would happen, but so shocked when I first was selected. I was like, what? And then I won, oh my gosh, really? And then I found out with the, yeah, Nevada short film and Reno, I thought it was a typo. I was like, wait a minute. I thought you said I was nominated. This says I won, wait a minute. Cause you know, cause I'll start telling everybody and I don't want to be like, oops. Uh, <laughs> I said that I won. Right, 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 right. So you've got, okay, so I was going to ask you about what you've got coming up. So you've got um, the Reno Film Festival coming up and the Nevada Short Film Festival. And what other projects have you got on the horizons right now? Um, I need to finish my first draft of my commissioned play for the Roby Playwright Theater Company mm. through October. And the play is Vaccination Elevation. I love it. Is it. Does it have anything to do with the things in your short film? No. Ooh. <laughs> it has to do with the vaccination. Mm. Well, I guess that's in the short film. I can't get away. I can't. Yeah, I can't get away from the whole pandemic stuff. But yeah, I'm excited to be working on that. Um, wow, and and comedy. I need to get back to doing stand-up. So I wanna get that. Oh my God, you do stand-up? Yes, that's why the whole comedy thing. Uh, <laughs> the I think you said that in your book. I, for, I had forgotten. You mentioned oh. stand-up in there. Okay. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. I remember now, thank you for reminding me. Yeah, yeah. Because every time I would start doing comedy and start building momentum, I would allow a relationship to take me off the path. Mm -hmm. So now I'm just letting other things take me off the path. No, but I, I'm coming back. <laughs> Your phone like dings right when you talk about being taken off track. That was kind of funny. <laughs> that was awesome. So then I know I want to see you do comedy. I know I I really would love to see your short film. I watched the five minute, but not the eight minute ones. I'm gonna to have to watch that one. You gotta watch the eight minutes. Oh, and that's the thing I need to clarify. So for the Reno Comedy Film Festival Award, that went to the eight minute 46 second version. Okay. So that would be the first award for that version. Now, the Nevada award is the second award for the five minute version. Okay. Wow. So both versions have won awards. That's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. That's really cool. Okay. So if people want to follow you and find out where you're doing all these things, what are the best places to find you online? Yes. Um, my website, lorindahawkinsmith.com. It has a coming up tab. So there's that. But I also have a face, Facebook fan page, Lorinda Hawkins Smith as well. And a YouTube, YouTube channel and Instagram. Instagram, I'm Lorinda Hawk with an underscore after the Hawk. 
Got it, Lorinda Hawk. And I have to say there was like a Hawk reference in your short film and I loved it. I don't, again, I don't want to ruin it for people but I was like, oh, I see what she did there. That's cool. see what I did there. Good eye, like a Hawkeye. My mom's last name is Hawkins. So I was like- Whose last name? My mom. Aw, yeah. she must be good people. Yeah, they're good people, yeah. Anyway, well, you're good people. Thank you for hanging out with me today. Um, I really, really appreciate it. And um, yeah, I'm glad we met at Fringe. So am I, Catherine. You're the bomb. You're a rock star. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you.